0: Well, I think it's a great idea that kids don't get chocolate till afterwards. <laughs> this idea was, uh, prompted by, by Lisa a few weeks ago for me, where she, uh, I asked the question, now that, um, our 8.45 congregation over at Page in the morning, uh, there, there's not enough kids, uh, families there for, for, uh, there's enough for Christ, but not for kids ministry. So all the kids ministry have at the 10th, they said, but if a family turns up at 8.45 and, you know, they've got kids, are we are we going to have a little something for them, a little, um, Clipboard with, with some, some stuff they can focus on, keep them entertained throughout the service. And uh, she said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And uh, one of the ideas was there they can be a little note section for the sermon. And so if they come up to the preacher at the end of the, the service... They can get a little chocolate, uh, if they show you what, the, the notes they took. And I said, that's a great idea. I never knew you could use, uh, psychology to, to condition children in church. You know, you teach them that pastors aren't scary, that they hand out chocolate and, and, nice and good things happen when you speak to a pastor. I thought this is a great way of conditioning our children. Um, so let's keep it up, Everett. Uh, you're leading the way. Um, and did you hear that, kids? Yeah, yeah. No, nah, look, they're tuned out already. It's, it's gone. It's Not even working, No chocolate. I'm sure if I went over and opened that chocolate packet, though, and rustled it a bit, they'd all go, oh. Um Well, this morning we're looking at 1 John. Uh, continu- um, I'm, I'm presuming you've been doing the same thing as we have been doing. Um, and so uh, you would have heard a, a number of sermons on 1 John already. Um, it is... Someone said to me uh, this week, it's, it's really hard to preach one, John, because he keeps going over the same thing again and again and again. That's the same theme. Um But I don't. Although the same words are repeated, uh, I think there are, uh, are unique things taking place in the book. And today we're looking at chapter four. And... Uh, The reason why 1 John is written and it seems like he's just hammering the same thing over and over and over again is because it's the one letter out of all the letters in the book of the New Testament that is written for a particular purpose. Um, there's always some reason why they're writing. Like The Gospels are written to give an account of Jesus' life and all that it was. So I mean, that's very broad. But the purpose of, of 1 John is quite narrow. He's writing because there was a particular problem with this group of Christians he was writing to. Uh, there was a, an issue. There was a split in the church and there was division. And they didn't see things the same way as each other. And so he writes to, to speak to this split and to say, you know, these guys are wrong, you guys are right. Uh, that's essentially what he's, he's writing to say. And so again and again he comes back to this, and that's why the theme of um, 1 John series has been, how do you know? How do you know you're right? How do you know you're on God's side? How do you know you know the truth? How do you know the Spirit's working through you? How do you know um, that, what your, uh, that what the apostles have said and, and what these false teachers are saying, who is right? How do you know? And so today we're looking at, at that question a little bit more um, but more specifically, it starts with this question: um, How can you tell if someone have I got up there? How can you tell if someone belongs to God or not? How do you know if they have the spirit of God that they, they have the holy Spirit? How do you know that their spirit is from God and that their spirit is not a false spirit? How do you know and so he answers this question uh, and it 's a pretty simple answer actually, um, so we can get this question from verses, what have I got up there? 1 to 2. Uh, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. That, that's what he's trying to answer. That's the question. The answer is pretty simple. Uh, the answer... Is simply this. If someone claims that Jesus came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. Now, is that how you would have answered that question? Would you, like, how do you know if someone is from God? How do you know if someone is a Christian? How do you know if someone has the Holy Spirit within them? I dare say not many of us would have answered like that. I don't know, they profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. That that might be a place we'd start, but not that Jesus came in a real body. Now, he answers it that way because the particular split in the church that he's facing is around the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus is God in flesh, that Jesus came, who is God, Son of God, and he has took on a real body he became a real person that that's what we mean by the word incarnation so there is this argument taking place in this local community of those who are saying that yes Jesus had a real body he he really did come in the flesh and those who are saying that he didn't now my question for this is is John just writing to this group of people answering this question because it's a problem for them Or is this a problem and an answer for all Christians throughout all time? Is this a suitable answer for us? Can can we ask the same question of ourselves? How can we tell and can we apply the same answer? Um, I want to say this morning, yes. This wasn't just an answer for their problem in their time that this has very, very real and practical implications for us as Christians today. Now, I'm not going to do this justice, but I've come up with a list of, of reasons why the fact that Jesus had a real body matters. Okay, This is just a, a short list. It doesn't do it justice. I could probably spend a whole sermon. In fact, you can write, read books on this stuff. Okay, um, But let's just have a look at this. The fact that God chose to become a one of us, not a cow, not a dog, not a fish, not a dolphin. You know, I love those people who go, in my next life I want to come back as a dolphin. Why? Why do you want to come back as a dolphin? What's so fun about a dolphin? You know, I've seen their busy lives. Yeah, they frolic a little, but most of the time they're just hunting for food, um, swimming around. Yeah, what's so fun about that? When God chose to look at the earth and go, what do I want to become? He chose us. There's something amazing about us. Humans are unique. Humans, there is a dignity to us. That's how I've worded it. Um, you know, We're image bearers of God. We're made in his image. There's something special and unique about us. We're able to do things God can do. There was a creativity about us. And all things. The, the, the humanity, the fact that God became us is an incredible thing. That he didn't see that as something unworthy or, or awful. Um, and so there's a dignity about humanity. There is a goodness of creation. The fact that God entered into his creation, that he becomes flesh, and let's face it, he's spirit. He's wonderful, perfect spirit. And the Gnostics, who, who John is writing to, who were saying that Jesus isn't real, they had this dualistic view of the world. They believed there was spirit and there was flesh. I don't, have, have anyone spoken to you about this? Yep, So I'm not going to say too much about it. Um, flesh is bad. Spirit's good. Now, now, God could have remained that, but the fact that God, who is Spirit, becomes flesh, says we can't hold that view. We can't look at the physical world as being um, beneath the spiritual. Uh, that the, the physical world doesn't matter. It's the fact that the, the goodness of creation, the importance of physical need. When Jesus comes to earth, when He takes on flesh, He comes for a very specific reason, doesn't He? He comes to address the, 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 the physical needs of people. Uh, to recover the sight of the blind, to heal those who've never walked, um, to, to heal the deaf. He comes caring about this physical world we live in and the physical needs that are there. That Jesus can sympathize with our suffering in Hebrews. as we don't have a, a high priest who has no idea what our life's like. We have one who can sympathize with how we live and the world we live in. That this is important. If, if, and and you've got to ask yourself the, this question: If Jesus hadn't come in the flesh, could we say these things? Could we say them? Um, that Jesus was God. That the fact that He comes to earth so that physically we can can see Him and know Him, this it, it, it is this full revelation of who God is. It's an incredible thing. It's life changing. That Jesus was revealed to God to us all. Jesus revealed God to us all. Not only was he God, but he shows us, and it says repeatedly in the scriptures that, that, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, oh God, oh Jesus, if you just, if you just showed us, I, I love the disciples, they're so dumb. Um, really, they're, they're like me. Um, you know, Jesus, you know, I, I know you've shown us wonderful things, but if you could just show us the, if I could just get a glimpse of God, the real God, like God I, I would be all right. That would be wonderful. Um, and he just shakes his head going, unbelievable. Have I not been here with you for, for years doing these wonderful things that only God can do? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, this is amazing. If Jesus had not come in the flesh, we don't have stories like this. We, we can't see what God is like. And God suffered for our salvation that God came in the flesh to die. He physically died. He physically endured humiliation and torture. Uh, he physically endured the, the rejection uh, and the emotional pain and suffering that, that so many of us have felt in our life. He went through all of that in order to save us. The incarnation is an incredible thing. You can't deny that our faith needs to be embodied in the physical. You can't deny that because God himself embodies his faith and who he is in the physical which is really handy because um, I'm going to smash you at the end of this sermon about making sure your faith is not just a head thing or just a heart thing but that it's a hand thing as well that's the incarnation <laughs> God takes on flesh uh, there are real actions and and consequences in this world it's an incredible thing and so is it right that he answers? How do you know someone who, who knows God, who, who has the Spirit of God in them? Well, if they accept that Jesus had a real body, that he really had flesh is the answer. And I think that's appropriate. As a result of coming to God, coming to earth in the flesh in Jesus, those who believe are to do as he did. Is is that too much of a stretch? If God did these things, then those who follow God should do the same things. And that's why I think here in chapter 4 of 1 John, because you see this kind of shift. He sort of asks this question and attacks false teachers and says, oh, you guys, um, how do you know the difference between someone who's a false teacher or someone who's really has the Spirit of God in them, well, they acknowledge this. So don't listen to those false holds. Don't listen to those false teachers who, who deny it. That, that's Rants and raves about that. And then all of a sudden, in verse 7, he sort of shifts. And in your Bibles, you'll, you'll see this sort of one heading, uh, verses 1 to 6, and then it'll have a new heading. It kind of shifts, and you go, hey, that's a big jump. But what I want us to see today is, is the incarnation should impact how we live It should impact our morality and our ethics and and what we do with our lives. It has to. Which is why he jumps so quickly to this theme of love. So if we look at 1 John 4, 7 to 8, it says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Seems like, hang on, what happened to incarnate? I thought we we're talking about that. Now we're talking about love, and it seems like a different topic. But do I need to talk much about the connection there? Um, I think I've said it already. That that if John has argued that that real Christians accept that God really came in the flesh to do real world things, and we're to do the same. What does the incarnation teach us about God? What, what, what? When we think about this God who leaves heaven behind, who comes to earth into this broken world that he, he created to be perfect, and yet we messed it up, that he comes and enters into this world to be one of us that might experience the, the things we experience and suffer the things we suffer so that he can save it and restore it back to its perfect, the way he planned it, If that is the incarnation, what does that teach us about God? Surely, and and the scriptures attest to this, that it teaches us that that God is love. That God loves us. That God goes out of his way. He inconveniences himself to save us. That's the incarnation. And that's what he has in mind here. Which is why it's easy for him to say, God is love. God is love. Like, Come on, guys. If, if if, Jesus, and again, we've got to ask that question, what if Jesus didn't come? What if Jesus did not become you know, the, the word that was in the beginning, that, that all things were created through? We read from, from Genesis and, and John's Gospel. What if that word that was there from the very beginning, Jesus always existed, but what if he didn't become flesh? What if he didn't become incarnate? What would the world be like? Well, that question's been asked a lot of times. That question's been asked an awful lot. Uh, in fact, in 2017, um, came across this study by Ipsos Polling, American, um, one of those companies that, that just likes to ask questions and get answers and get paid for it. Um, and so they had this poll. They included 43 different countries. Um, there was something like, um, over fifty thousand respondents, and they they basically asked this one question: Australia was one of the countries they they polled, uh, and they basically asked this question: Would the world be better off without religion? Now, I know they're using that religion term, and that's that's loaded. They could have asked: Would the world be better off without God? Uh, but I guess you know that religion includes God in that. Would the world be better off without God? And so, across all the the forty three countries that they polled. Um, the, the overwhelming response came back that the world is split, that that it's not quite 50-50, it's 49-51. So 49% of people say, yes, the world would be better off without religion. 51% say, no, it, it wouldn't, that, that religion it has been good for the world. Okay, that, that's, ooh, gee, that's touch and go. What do you reckon it was like? That's for when you pull all the country's results together. What do you reckon it was like in Australia? What were Australia's results? Worse, well, from our perspective, yeah. uh, from our perspective, much worse, much worse. Uh, so, in Australia, only thirty-five percent of people said the world would be better with religion in it. which so it means two-thirds of us are saying, "Yet, yeah, religion's terrible. Religion, we'd be better off without it." Across Australia. Now, I haven't lived in Canberra too long, um, but I'd want to say if you polled just Canberra, that that would be even lower. That'd be even lower. Um, and I don't need to prove this to you. I mean, how many attempts are there being made by, um, by public figures to, to remove religion, remove God, remove faith from, from the public space? Our schools, our politics, in, in any realm, really, um, we don't want it. Um, there's definitely a, a sense that, yes, the world thinks that, that we don't need God. We don't need religion, we don't need all you Christians, we don't need you all doing, and, and who knows what religion they had in mind, all of them, one of them, don't know. Um, they didn't break it down that far. But if I was asked that question, how would you respond? I mean, I hope you're sitting here in church. <laughs> Most of you, I think, would answer, of course it would be better, of course the world is better off for that, but, but do you have any grounds to say that? Do you have any grounds to say that? Um, who here has heard of um, the, the DVD series, Jesus the Game Changer? Anyone done that in a... Great. Oh, this will be new for you. That's good. So Carl Faze, he was the the pastor at Guy Mere Baptist Church up in um, Sydney. Uh, he's left and started this Olive Tree Media, and uh, he's done a number of DVD series, uh, which are fantastic because they've got a real—they're professionally done and they've got an Australian focus. So it's not like you're you listening to Americans teach us how to be Christians. You listen to Aussies do it. Um, but one of the series he's produced is this series called Jesus the Game Changer, and he had a very specific goal in 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 putting this series together. He basically was aware that in the Australian context. More and more people are saying religion is bad. Religion's not good. We don't need God. It adds nothing to your life. It's not helpful at all. Um, in fact, we would be better off without God. And, and he asked the question, is that true? Would the world be a better place without God in it? And so, uh, and particularly Christianity, particularly Jesus, if Jesus had never come and kicked off Christianity, would the world be a better place? And so he looks at nine different topics. Uh, and I'm just going to chuck them all up there um, for you to have a look. Nine different topics. So each week he looks at these things. So equality. And you think, what? What, what would he have to say about equality? Um, only this, that if Jesus didn't come, there would be no such thing as equality. And you might go, That's surely not, surely not. Um, not equality the way we see it. So when Jesus comes, he speaks a lot about the dignity of, of all people. He, he, he shows dignity to the poor, to the lame, to the sick, to the, the uneducated. He, he treats everybody. He shares love with everybody. He deals with it. He teaches us to do the same thing, doesn't he? So of course, yeah, Jesus comes. He says a lot about how everyone is equal. All are made in the image of God. Everyone, man and woman. Um, forgiveness. We might think, oh, what? Is forgiveness purely a, a Christian virtue? No. But the type of forgiveness Christians believe in is, there's no one else that says, turn the other cheek. There's no one else that says, walk an extra mile. There's no one else. How many times might I forgive? 70 times 7. You know, forever. This is unheard of. You don't get that anywhere else. I think sometimes we come a bit blasé. It's like, oh, well, this is the worldview. Yeah, we we know that's that's good, but we don't know that's good until Jesus comes and tells us it's good. That this is the way to live it. We don't know it's actually achievable or possible until He comes and actually demonstrates it to us. And we go, oh, actually, you can live a life where you forgive others and turn the other cheek. He lived it out and showed us. It it it, it changes everything. Imagine a world where we don't forgive. I tell my kids this all the time. Sit there, because you know how it starts with kids. You know, why did you hit your sister? Because she hit me. And now, is she have the right, well, you've hit her now. Does she have the right to come back and hit you? Well, no, of course not. Why not? Oh, because she's not me. Um, there's no logic to it. It's just tit for tat. At some point in time, you've got to learn, you know, without forgiveness, The backwards and forwardsing doesn't ever stop. The hurt and the pain, something's got to put an end to it. Forgiveness. Women and children. The way Jesus treats women and children in his day is revolutionary. Um, Democracy. Not necessarily a Christian idea, but a lot of what we take for granted in our legal system, in our the way we're structured legally, our sense of, of justice and fairness are based on, on Christian ethics. Care the way we care. Do you think we'd have the hospitals we have today without the Christian faith? No. We probably wouldn't have free education or Medicare in Australia without it. Now, I'm making these broad, big generalisations, aren't I? And some people go, come off it, James, you know. (laughs) I think we would. I think we'd, somehow we would have worked out that people matter and, and people care but not to the same degree. And I guess this is what he's trying to emphasize with this course that if Jesus had not come in the flesh and, and spoken and revealed who God is to us and lived the life he lived a lot of this would look very different, very different. Maybe there, but it looked very different. Even leadership. Where else do you go in the world to learn about servant leadership? There is nowhere. You can't go to Plato and Aristotle and you can find plenty of books on the art of war and how to suppress your enemies and, and kill them and how to retain power and, um, you know, that, that to be feared is more important than to, to be loved. Um, you you can find plenty of books and examples like that. Um, but servant leadership, which, which is so funny because the hip thing nowadays in, in leadership studies at the moment is servant leadership. It's the big buzz thing at the moment. Uh, everyone wants in on this servant leadership. Uh, where do you think it came from? <laughs> yeah. And it can only come from a perspective where there is a God and there is final justice and, and we can turn the other cheek and forgive us. All these things sort of intermarry to, to some degree. Uh, education and health. Um, it is true that the Christian church initiated most free education and most free health care across the world. Go. Yeah, you can do your research. You can write a thesis to try and deny it. You can't. You'll lose. Um, wealth, uh, the distribution of wealth, how we handle wealth, um, the fairness, our banking systems, uh, interest. Uh, a lot of it's influenced through through Christian ethics and morality and reason and science. Um, you might go, hang on, I thought it was science and reason that are the biggest enemies of Christian faith at the moment. Well, you know, in all of history, that's probably this little bit. <laughs> For the majority of history, those who have believed in an ordered world, those who believed in the laws of nature, are those who've believed in a God who is orderly, a God who, who creates things in balance, a God who creates things well. Uh, hence we can study it, hence we can rely on it. Uh, it's always been Christians who've who've made most scientific breakthroughs for the majority of history. Now some people say, well that's because they didn't know any better and that was a sort of, everyone believed so it was just a sort of cultural thing. It's like, no, no, no. (laughs) And even today, many scientists are are Christians. It's a, it's a farce to believe that, that anyone of science does not believe in God. That's just wrong. I believe in science. Anyone here believe in science? Yeah, I think all of us do, don't we? I haven't met a Christian who doesn't believe in science yet. Um, They look at those nine and say, because Jesus came in the flesh, these things are are all the better for it because of it. Are we better off having Jesus come in the flesh? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think anybody who sits down to, to look at it seriously could I, oh, but what about the religious wars? What about all the times that that religion has caused harm and hurt? And, um, sure, um, not about to stand up here and say that religion has not caused harm. Okay? And, and we could look at Plenty of arguments, couldn't we? There's probably three or four that come to your mind about how you might respond to that attack. You know, well, you've got to differentiate Jesus from religion. Religion is just Jesus' followers attempting to, to apply his teachings, and they don't always get that right. And 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 the, the religious wars, well, if, if we were to um, add up all the deaths that have occurred through the, the Inquisitions and the, the witch hunts and the the numerous times the uh, the crusades where, where people under the banner of God have gone out to do the will of God, and have have tortured and killed and and maimed and and caused harm and detriment to this world. If we add up all the deaths, that the, um, really, we, we in your mind you might think, and the way people speak about it, it would be like, oh, it must be in the millions, mustn't it? it must, must be, must be endless. Well, not really, not really. Um, I should have remembered the figures. I've preached on this before. The numbers are, are quite little, and and really over all the centuries, if you add all of that up. They are nothing compared to the millions who have died. From the wars that have not been religious, uh, So, if we just think of the the 20th century, um, all the wars and the deaths caused in that one century vastly outnumber anything that religion has caused. There's a heap of arguments to go, well, it's not as bad as you think. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to die. Sure, Christians stuff up times. Christians will do things that are actually the opposite of what God wants. And this is why I think John comes to, to this point. He says, if Christians are those who believe in the incarnation, then the one natural, reasonable, logical outcome of believing in the incarnation is that you will love That you will love. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Just look at the incarnation. Just look at the incarnation, doesn't it prove it? That's his argument. But what does that mean for you today? What does that mean for us? You might go, Oh, yeah, that was interesting history. That was interesting logic. Good theology, James. Um, but what does it mean for you? What does it mean for you? Uh, we could have picked up on any one of those things. We could pick up on equality, forgiveness, care, how we, wealth, education, you know, any of these things. We would go, oh yeah, but what does that mean for me in those areas? Um, we could pick up on lots of things. What I want to pick up on, I guess, is, um, and this is where, who was I talking to Tom? Yeah, we, we, I can, I can put it per vote. I can hammer you. Or I can hammer others. Which would you prefer? <laughs> me, personally, I love a good hammering. I love walking away feeling convicted <laughs> from a sermon. I like it. Oh, man, that hit me. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff to think about. So I'm going to hit you. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> if not, you can leave if you like. <laughs> at this point in time, no, no, it will be done in love, of course, <laughs> um, because we're called to love, and it—it's it, not hammering us really. It's—it's it's calling us to something really. It's calling us to something. Um, it calls us to something. The incarnation. There is a tendency in the church to keep faith as, as either a head thing or a heart thing. Would you agree? Um, I think of lots of churches who, who put a great deal of effort into creating an experience. And they will um, create opportunities for Christians to gather uh, so that they can encounter God and and they can be be touched by God and their their hearts can be made to come alive. They can feel part of something, um, and and they walk away feeling an an electrifying buzz of yes, I've encountered God, and and they they walk away, and and it is it, but it's momentary. It's it's in that moment, and yeah, you, know, you come back next week if you want another moment with God, uh, and it's as if our, our faith in God is based on our emotions. Uh, And I've had to counsel many people over the years who, you know, really struggle and wrestle with God and, and whether He's there or not because, you know, I once used to feel God and, and, but, but I don't know. I don't feel God anymore. And, and my emotions seem to dictate whether I'm close to God or far from God. And, and, and it's my emotional experience and, and how I'm feeling that, that, that really dictates whether life is good or bad and, and where God is and how He's performing. Uh, in life. Now, I may be simplifying it there, but, but I'm sure you can relate to that. I mean, my, I myself have had times where, um, I have felt, uh, just, I'm feeling down and flat, and so the tendency is to go, mm, God doesn't love me, and God's far away, and, um, now it's at that time where, where maybe the head kicks in. You go, no. God, and, and we'll be preaching on this in a few weeks with the vines, you know, God, God doesn't only come and and prune the the dead vines. He, He prunes those who are fruitful to make them more fruitful. There are seasons with God and there's the ups and the downs and, you know, and I believe by faith that God is, is faithful and God is there in the ups and the downs and, and I can trust God. He is good and faithful and I'll tell myself why because I believe Jesus Christ came and I believe the gospel. I believe all that he has done. Therefore I believe what he will do and my head will take over and, and there you go and and so now i'm going to lock myself in my room with my bibles and um and i'm going to read and i'm going to pray and i'm just going to i'm going to fill my mind with good thoughts and 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 you know and that that's my faith and plenty of people live faith like that don't they as well the incarnation does not allow us to live faith like either of those two options at all faith is not about the heart now the heart's great and and i would encourage you bring your whole heart to god God's interested in your emotions. He's interested in what you're feeling. He's interested in that and he wants you to bring yourself. When we worship God, um, you know, he wants to bring our heart to him. You know, to, how can we, how can we say we love God if we don't bring our heart to him? Uh, that's just a joke. Uh, So yes, absolutely. Explore and and work at bringing your whole self to God. Bring your heart. Certainly bring your mind to God. Apply. Believe the scriptures. It's by faith that that we come to to trust in Jesus. by understanding and reading and having a knowledge of the gospel, the good news as revealed in the scriptures, that that we can can have confidence in in God and confidence in the promises he makes. Um, But that can't be all that faith's about faith has to include the hands doesn't it has to include the hands we have to be a people who put our faith into action just as god put his faith and his plans into action and took on flesh so that he might do that we need to be a people who do that now what does that look like for you you might think that I'm going to say, so get out and serve, get out and do, get out and minister, get out and do something. Um, and sure, I am saying that. Um, go do something. If you're not doing much with your faith, get up and do something. It's the If you want... When people come in and say, "Oh, James, my, my spiritual life's dead," um, you go, "Well, what are you doing?" And they go, "Well, not much. You know, <laughs> I come to church and I sit there and I try and receive, but that's not doing it for me more." Um, but I'm, and these are people who are reading their Bible. Um, they're, they're trying to pray, you know, as best they can. They're not to do it every day. It's not, but it's just not enough. They're not on fire. And you go, "Well, the, the missing part of the puzzle is is you're not doing something. You're not living out your faith." Um, but what I'm going to say is, I'm not saying you, as an individual, need to go out and and just pick up a ministry. I, I love that photo of you, Daniel, um, at the carols event. Um, I thought, where else do you have Santa in in the goalie position with a bunch of kids? I, I mind you, I have some suggestions for next year how to make it better. You know, if if you were tied to the posts, <laughs> um, you know, and then kids could have a free kick. You know, it's not it's not going to goal. Let's hit Santa. Um, That might be better. But um, but, but getting out and doing something, actually, now now that takes effort. Uh, That takes hard work. Everyone who volunteered, that, that takes effort and hard work. It's putting your faith in action. It comes at a cost. It means something to me. But I'm not wanting to say go out and do something as an individual. What I'd want to draw attention to is what is happening here and now. That the church is an embodied experience. That as Christians we come together. To be Christians in the flesh with one another. Because when you gather as community, you can't, your faith can't just stay here. Your faith can't just stay here. It it has to, as I speak to someone, all of a sudden, it's beyond me. All of a sudden I'm having impact. I'm being impacted. Uh, I'm living it out. Uh, there are people who will say you can be a Christian without going to church. And I'll, I'll agree to that. I'll say, yeah, absolutely, you can go to church and not be a Christian. But I'll tell you this, you won't be a very good Christian. You won't be the type of Christian you could be if you went to church and 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 went and partook in the body of Christ and played your part and are ministered to by the rest of the body and, and able to minister your gifts to, to the body. This has to be embodied. We have to embody this. Um, we can't we can't let faith be, be a private thing. And again, you just look at God. Did God keep it as a private thing? No, of course not. Of course not. He embodied it, he lived it out. The place to do that is is church. Um, and I was whoever I said it to this morning. They said, yeah, but that gets messy. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> Who wants to live this perfect little life where I'm in control? Uh, God wants to unravel you so he can put you back together. Better and stronger and wiser and happier than, than, when he first started. Uh, this is why church is important. And of course it goes beyond that and what you do here and, um, there you go. See, that wasn't too hard, was it? Wasn't too hard. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, tick, tick, tick. Um, well, I tick all three. of Those head, heart, hands—that's me. Um, I do a lot around this place, but there's always more, isn't there? In God, not not more work, not more work, but more areas where God can can grow you, so that you know we can be like God. That that I don't do this. I don't I don't act. I don't serve. I don't work with my hands, so I don't serve because I'm trying to earn something, I'm not doing it because for gain. But that I might be like God in this, that I might be doing it through love, because I love. And that's a challenge for me all the time. I mean I'm a pastor, you'd think going and I do, I love the church. Love the church. It means a great deal to me. Um it it, it literally is my family. Um but it doesn't mean I do everything out of love. My wife very graciously and nicely told me just the other night, um, James, you love it when people say what a great job, and you love it when people praise you, don't you? And I just said again, doesn't everybody? Um, yeah, not like you, James. You, your face lights up, and you're like, oh, you beam me. And I'm sure there's times I do things for affirmation and for, for people's praise, um, but that's, I, I want to do it for love because that's who God is. I want to do it through no selfish means of my own. <laughs> And so I want to pray that for us uh, because can i can I say you you guys are great as a church i 'm um, not here to say people aren 't serving people aren 't doing people aren 't considering all these things um, but i want to and I prayed that this morning before the service that God would do something that as we gather god is is creating something here amongst us, and I would pray that thing is is love. He's making us into a, a loving people that reflect him. So can I pray for that? And if you're happy, join me there. Father God, we uh, we just want to pray for that. Uh, that just as you are love and, and when we look to you and all that you've done, you, you, you actually redefine love for us. You you, you show us what love is. Uh, and we can't get that anywhere else. And so we're grateful for all that you've revealed to us. But we want to acknowledge that that we're not quite there with you in that. And so we pray, Lord, that in all that takes place in here, uh, in this place, all that we do, all that we think, all that we are, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to to know your love, uh, to be transformed by your love so that we might be loving, that your love would flow through us. Help us to do that here amongst ourselves. But, Lord, go further than that. Help us to do that in the lives of those around us and in this community around us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.